0: Go with me over to uh, Luke chapter 11. And in the concept of uh, the great return, we're returning to prayer tonight. Can I have an amen? Amen. And that implies that maybe we've not been as diligent as maybe we should be or could be, but uh, the great thing about being a believer is there's no condemnation in those that are in Christ Jesus. Uh, Fresh starts, Uh, it's one of God's specialities. New beginnings for His people. Aren't you glad for that? Raise your hand if you ever had to start over again. Find yourself in a ditch or taking a wrong turn. He's, a, he's great and merciful and gracious. That's who He is. Bible tells us He's predisposed to show favors. Uh, he stoops down, Psalm 145, to actually lift us up. That's how great He is. You know, the God that's a big ogre with a big stick just waiting to beat you up and knock you into the next county, that's not the God of the Bible. Amen. And not just not the God of the New Testament, and the God of the Old Testament is very, very patient. People up in the Bible and they see a judgment narrative about what ended up happening to a people or a nation, they go, oh, that's horrible, that's terrible, how could God do that? They don't know the backstory of the hundreds and sometimes thousands of years he dealt with that people. He's very, very patient, very, very gracious. So have you found Luke chapter 11? And we're going to dive into uh, that in, in just a moment, but return to prayer simply means that if we've gotten away from that holy exercise or discipline of intentional and intimate prayer and fellowship with the Lord, that we make the conscious and deliberate decision on a night like tonight just to get back into it, just to go back into the things of God, no condemnation, no monkey on your back in terms of being condemned or feeling bad about it, just making that adjustment. Um, you know, like, like tongues, for example, it's a very potent weapon in the life of a believer. Uh, the devil's not encouraging you to pray and seek God. Actually, religion won't either. Religion just wants your compliance. Religion just wants you to, to line up, to show up, you know, to be there, that kind of a thing. But uh, the Lord does, uh, I believe, motivate us, and he's thrilled with the devotional life of his people. Do you know that God wants to meet with you as much as you need to meet with him? Amen? We want to know Him. He wants to fellowship with you. So say it with me. It's the conscious and deliberate decision to get back into it. And if you've been faithful, then just up your game a little bit. Amen? Go further. Where will the Lord take you? Remember that your spiritual formation is dependent on two rails on the train of your spiritual life. Say two rails. That's nothing new. You've heard me teach this before, but the first rail is the rail of public worship and fellowship. You're never going to get to where you're supposed to go by yourself. It's just not going to happen. God sets people in the body where he wants them. He actually gives them and places them. This idea that I just go anywhere, um, you know, is, is actually, it sounds kind of good to the carnal ear because we just, well, God's concerned about what he's doing in us and wherever we are, that's where we are. Praise the Lord. Uh, You know, that sounds good to the carnal ear, especially to the independent American Christian, but to the actual student of the New Testament, you'll see it in the Old Testament, that it matters where you are as well as how you are. I don't know about you, but I'm glad Jesus showed up to Golgotha. Oh, you hear what I'm saying to you? He resolutely set out for Jerusalem, even to the absolute, you know, just dis- disdain of those around him because they could see what was coming. Paul had a similar mission in terms of what his missionary efforts were. He knew what was waiting for him. On the other hand, uh, of where he was going, it matters where you are. On the day that uh, Nineveh was judged, it was important for Jonah to be there. How much so? God swallowed him just to make sure he got there. Well, the mail. Dr. Barkley says the whale was not judgment. Say it, the whale was not judgment. Say it, the whale was transportation. <laughs> Aren't you glad for that? You can go through the New Testament, and you can even think about what we talked about recently, that uh, the Spirit of God you know, said, you know what, Paul? You're not going to go into this territory right now. I need you to go somewhere else. It's, you're supposed to be where you're supposed to be. Say it with me. God sets us. We don't set ourselves. And if you have this idea that if He sets you somewhere and it's going to be always easy, your ease in your set place has nothing to do with the will of God. Oftentimes, that's where you'll see some of the biggest warfare of your entire life. And at that point in time, you just need to get up and say, you know what, God set me here, God established me here, I'm not going to be moved. Say, I shall not be. (laughs) Come on, say, I shall not be. I shall not be moved. I'm going to be established. In what God, and I'm not going to base my, my decisions in life based on circumstances because they'll run you all the days of your life if you do. Does that make sense? So when it comes to this, this area of walking this life out, you, you really need to make sure that that one rail is intact. And, and guess what? The devil attacked that rail just, just really ferociously the past couple of years. And some people are still not back on that rail. I don't want to offend you, and if you watched online, I'm glad we have the technology, you know. It's designed for when you're on vacation or traveling or just can't be somewhere. It's not designed as a replacement for being in the house of God. Amen. It's a pretty pathetic amen. So I'll try that one more time. It was never designed to be a replacement. Amen. It is a tool to help people so they can still be in fellowship because that's what's important to be, to be a part of that rail even if you can't be there. But it's not a replacement for actually being in corporate worship. And so if, if you're going to get this, uh, this right and you're going to keep going down the tracks and succeed in your spiritual life, you have got to have that rail to corporate worship and fellowship intact. Um, Many people made bad decisions about that, but a lot of people this time have said, you know what, I'm just going to do whatever I can do to keep growing in in that situation. Let the Lord bless me and help me. The other rail, of course, is the rail of personal devotion. Now, uh, look at somebody and say, God, don't do the monorail. You just don't do the corporate worship. You do the personal devotion. And I will tell you, the devil will do everything he can to attack your personal devotions and your corporate worship. Every excuse, amen, every attack, every assignment. And and young parents would say it gets even worse when they have little kids because the milk milk will spill, amen. (laughs) A tantrum will happen, something will go wrong. I mean, just all these different things trying to keep you from the house of God. But the devil will try to do everything he can to keep you from that personal devotional life. And if you're not careful, you get used to it. I'm okay, I can handle this. I still love God. I walk with God, you know, but i got all these things to do. Um, You're living, but you're living far below what you could be. You're living below your privileges, but you're also living below your peace. Mm -hmm. There's a realm out there that you're not going to get just doing these things in your own strength. And in fact, oftentimes frustration among Christians is because they're not uh, in a place where both the, the corporate rail and the personal devotional rail are intact. And again has nothing to do with condemnation. I'm just trying to help you understand that uh, if you're not where you'd like to be, or maybe you can remember a time where you were further down the track than you are now, this is why. Uh, And guess what? No one can stop you from either one of these. There's not a person in here that can't have a tremendous relationship with the Lord and be in a great growth pattern, but it's going to require both of them. So you'll hear us emphasize the rail of you know, participation corporately, but uh, you also need to be involved with him personally. So uh, let, uh, let the Wednesday you know, emphasis just be a, a jump start to whatever's going on in your yeah. life. And when the devil lifts his voice up and tries to condemn you about what you didn't do, just tell him to shut up. This is none of his business. You, can, you just tell the devil, well, at least I can pray to the Father. At least I know I'll be with the Father. Where will you be? Uh, He is the accuser of the brethren and he'll use anything he can to accuse you and try to condemn you and put you down. That's not of God. Amen. Uh, He is a God of great grace of mercy and love. He just wants you to get with it. Do you know that God wants you to succeed more than you? He wants you to reach your destiny more than you do. That's not going to happen without a healthy rail of corporate worship and also a healthy rail of personal devotion. So let's go a little bit further into this today. Look at Luke 11, verse 1. This is from the NKJV. Now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place. What's obviously his prayer life caught the attention of his disciples. Is that a good thing? He ceased, and one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. So what does that tell us about John? It was a big part of his life as well. It was a big part of uh, what he modeled. It's a big part of what he, he did. And of course, the assignment he had was very, very important. Um, he's a very unique individual in the history of the kingdom of God on earth as well as in heaven now. And uh, we don't know everything, but we do know this. He was a man of great spiritual insight and revelation. For the season that he lived, and one of the reasons was, of course, he was a person of prayer. So, not only did Jesus' prayer life catch this disciple's attention, he also noted that the disciples of John were also living out that same kind of priority and lifestyle. Lord, teach us to pray. Say that with me. Lord, teach us to pray. What does that tell you? You're not going to get it on your own. Can you pray amiss? Yes. Can you pray without results? Yes. Can you pray in circles? Yes. Can you pray with with babbling? Yes. Can Can you pray without meaning? Yeah, you can just rehearse certain things and repeat certain things. But Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. The implication is they're praying for results, praying for something to happen that's going to be a benefit to their life. Notice what they didn't ask Jesus to teach them. Didn't say, teach us to preach. Is it okay for us to teach sermon craft and homiletics and for seminaries to do the same? Yep, it's great. Communication is a part, you know, important part of what we do. But they didn't say, Lord, teach us to preach. They didn't say, Lord, teach us to plan. Didn't, teach, didn't say, Lord, teach us to organize. Didn't say, Lord, teach us, if you would, how to raise funds. But how many believe if somebody is taught to pray, all those other things will fall in line pretty easily? Say it. Teach us to pray. Say it like this. Lord, teach me to pray. Lord, teach me to pray. I did not ask, uh, ask him to teach them to show us how to preach or plan or administrate or raise funds to lead or organize. They requested that he would teach them to pray. And guess what he did? He complied with their request. Amen. You ask me to teach you how to pray, that's exactly what I'm going to do. So this narrative is what he did, and I'm sure this is not the only time it came up, but there's a record of what he actually began to teach them. And out of this is just a simple message for you tonight, the three Ps of effective prayer. This is straight out of what he said, you know, constituted a healthy and effective prayer life. So write this down, first of all, the pattern of prayer. The pattern of prayer. We see this in, uh, in verse 2, 3, and 4. So he said to them, when you pray. Now, I know when you pray is uh, taken for granted. We're going to pray. It's like when you say, when you fast. That was a assumption. You're going to fast. Say it, when, you pray. when you pray. So say it, I am going to pray. Say I am going to pray. Say I am praying. When you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who is indebted or sins against us and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I'm not going to go through an exhaustive study of this. We've got this actually, you know, recorded digitally. You can go back into the archives and find it. But I want to point out to you this that I believe that it's in order for you when you pray. to to begin by praying this verbatim. Say verbatim. Verbatim. And exactly as he gave it, because who gave it? So, you know, a denominational church um, that actually says the Lord's Prayer at a service or at a funeral or wherever it is, uh, they're not out of order because they're actually repeating a prayer that Jesus himself gave. But by revelation, we also know this is not just a verbatim prayer, it's also giving us the insights into the things that we're actually supposed to pray in our prayer life, give you a context, to give you an outline. Look at somebody and say, Jesus gave us an outline. Jesus. Yes. Is that awesome? Yes. I mean, we could have a lot of people come teach us on prayer, but how you know having Jesus teach you on prayer right. is a pretty big deal? Amen. Amen. He said, they said, teach us to pray, and he said, okay. So when you enter into your prayer time, whether it's your assigned prayer time or in your devotional life in the morning, whatever it is, and we'll deal more with this uh, tonight and, and a little bit more on, on Sunday morning when we actually deal with, you know, holding to the convictions of the Holy Spirit, which is a huge can of worms for a lot of people. But I want you to understand this, that, that conviction is not negative. Amen. You know, some people, they don't have conviction anymore in their life. And you can go overboard with this into condemnation, live your life miserable because you just just in under guilt. But there are a lot of people, even in the church, have gone the other extreme, and they don't feel the pain of the conviction of the Holy Spirit anymore. Now, when they say something, do something, cop an attitude, there's nothing there. And I'm telling you what, that is a warning light. It's like every light on your dashboard going off. Make sense? So these things are important in our lives. And so we, we've, you know, we pray the prayer verbatim and then we pray this as an outline. And then I recommend, you write know, right behind that and then pray it again verbatim to kind of seal the deal like a bookend so you understand this is the one that gave us this. So it has to be important. Amen. And I believe if there's a command, there's also a blessing on that command. If there's a command, then there's also power to actually do this. So should you expect God to do something in your life if you actually pray this way? Yeah. You should expect God to be doing things in your life if you actually pray according to His direction. They asked Him. He said, great, I'll comply. Here's what He came out with. So I'm going to talk a little bit about this tonight, at least get to this uh, uh, you know, in our teaching tonight. Pray it as a verbatim prayer. Everybody say a good amen. amen. Then pray it as a topical outline. And then pray it again. Verbatim. So go back to that first statement here. How does it start? Our Father. Everybody say, My Father. Father. You, You just stop right there, and you literally enter into His presence with thanksgiving. And you bless Him. He is your Father. Amen? He actually cares about you. You think about all the implications of having a Father, having a Heavenly Father who loves you unconditionally, who will never leave you, nor forsake you. You take that time in your prayer time and you bless the Lord, you worship Him, you honor Him. You can put on a, a praise song. You know, you can, you can sing like a frog. You know, there's some kind of device when your singing goes through the threshold of heaven that sounds like Pavarotti. I mean, it's wonderful, amen. It may not sound that way down here. Isn't that the way it is, though? You remember when your kid first had some kind of a recital or some kind of a chorus and they got a solo? But your kid couldn't sing. <laughs> but they sang in front of all the other classmates and parents. And you smiled and took a bunch of pictures. You got like 50 minutes of video of them singing everything off key. To you, it sounded marvelous. Maybe to the other kids or parents, it was that was a courtesy song right there. <laughs> that, was, that was a bless your heart, amen. <laughs> could have been the same thing with a recital, piano recital. I mean, there could have been a recital with a horn. And then, I mean, uh, I tell you a story. We did Handel's Messiah in high school, which was a big undertaking for any high school choir, but we were not an average choir. We were a champion choir, matter of fact. And uh, they, she decided that we were gonna do Handel's Messiah and, and Vivaldi's Gloria. And uh, by the time we got done, we were in a beautiful church in downtown Carbon, Illinois. And we're all dressed in tuxes and ladies and elegant black gowns. And I mean, we're going to do this thing. But before that came months and months of preparation. So we get into the church and it's dress rehearsal and it's the night before the production. And there's a part, I believe it's in in the Handel's of Messiah, where everything dies down. And all you can hear is one oboe. Look at somebody and say one oboe. No pressure there, right? One, (laughs) one oboe. And this kid was a freshman. It's the only oboe player that she had. And every time he got to this place, he would hit a note that'd be completely off key. So we're going through the thing from the top, right, straight through. And then we get to this place, all the voices die down, all the instruments die down, everything is quiet, and here comes the oboe. (laughs) (laughs) And she looked at him. (laughs) And she said, "By the way, my our choir director, our band director, was named Bert. If that gives you any idea. Not even Bert Rice. I mean B-U-R-T, not B." <laughs> and uh, she knew what she was doing, but she was kind of, you know, rough around the edges. And she said, "I I told you to practice that and be ready to come in here for rehearsal." And she says, "It better not happen again." She says, "Take it back from such and such a measure." And so we went back, <laughs> and everything died down. Music died down. The voices died down. And, and she just said, one more time, don't look at me, just, just run, basically. And um, we, got, we got back up to the top of that particular part of the, the program and, and uh, he kind of went out the side door and she followed him. And to this day, we don't know what she said. All I know is... When he got back, and he was just white as a ghost. You could tell he's just like been through a hurricane of sorts emotionally. He picks up that instrument, and we're all, by now, everyone in the choir is praying for him, <laughs> Christian or not. We're praying for the boy to, to somehow get this right. And uh, we go back to that particular place, and the music dies down, the voices die down, and all of a sudden, he gets to that spot where there's a single oboe, and he hits it. Well we couldn't help it. We all just started clapping right there in the middle of the side. That was great, you know. <laughs> but the night of the production, you know, packed out house, I mean, in dignitaries there, you know, people from all over the community, he just he just nailed it as did everybody else. Wow. And uh, you know, oh, you have to you have to have the mindset in your own heart, in your own life. And aren't you glad that uh God is well able to use you? Yeah. Yes. Amen. But you may have this, this idea that I don't, I don't pray right, I don't sing right, I don't worship right somehow, this is not good enough for God. That's all life in the pit of hell. Um, I don't know how it does. I mean, I, I, I was part of the leadership in Chi Alpha when we were over there across from Sparks Hall, and there were holes in the walls in the rooms. And there were, I mean, it was really... I mean, uh, you know, Cass and Todd and all the two twelve. You guys are in high cotton right now. I mean, <laughs> you really are. Um, but it was it was a different world back then. And so my room was nearest to where the re- you know the bathroom shower was. And every morning, uh, Mark would have some praise time in the shower. The Lord oh my side, all that is within me. It, it sounded like a drunken Catherine Hepburn. You understand what I'm saying to you? <laughs> it was just bad. But. Um, And so I had no choice but then to wake up. I mean, forget about sleeping through that. There was hardly a day, you know, where that was not the case. It's just the kind of legacy that he he left, his his relationship with the Lord. But somehow by the time it got to heaven, I mean, it sounded like, like, like Buble. It's smooth as butter or something. I don't know. And uh, it's not uh, how perfect you're doing, it's, it's, it's not the, the sound, it's not the pitch, it's the fact that you are taking the time right there and saying, Our Father. Say it, My Father. My Come on, say it, My Father. My father. He's My Father. Yes. He's your Father. And you know, I appreciate the past 8 to 10 years in Christian contemporary music and worship because they've emphasized the nature of Our Father. Good, We've been teaching it for a long, long time. But now we're seeing lots of people tap into that and communicate that so we can sing that back to Him. He is a good Father, isn't He? Amen. Say, He's good. He is good. Say, He's always good. He's always good. And so you can stop right there and talk about His character and thank Him for His nature, whatever the case may be in your prayer time, but you, you're using that as an outline, and the first stop on that outline is to recognize that He is your Father. Say our Father. Our father. But you art in heaven. Aren't you glad He exists? You know, people are struggling right now all over the world because I don't know if God exists, whatever. All you have to do is look at his handiwork to know he exists. Amen, right? Look at Dylan right there. You think this happened by accident? Mm -hmm. Too complicated, amen? Every cell. (laughs) (laughs) That came out wrong. I'm sorry. (laughs) Shame on you. You'd have to laugh at that. No. Physiologically, we're a marvel. We're, We're fearfully... And wonderfully made we're complex in in every way I mean you take any system and think about the the uniting of the soul of the spirit you think about the the physicality of the whole thing you think about the eye think about the different systems and that's why a lot of you know open-minded atheists when they go to medical school come out believers now some go in as believers and listen to the hacks and they come out unbelievers but a lot of people go in either indifferent unknowing. There's no way that this all happened by accident. Yeah. There's no way. Pick anything you want out there. Um, try to comprehend how vast the universe is. How expansive you know, space is. And tell yourself, well, that just happened. Our Father exists. And we know that's important because the Bible says, he that comes to God must Believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Said, I believe he is, and said, I believe he's a rewarder. So whenever you're you're seeking His face, you see all kinds of all kinds of rewards. They're spiritual rewards. they rewards of peace. They're you know high octane pushing you to develop you know the fruit of the spirit. There are blessings and there are operations and there are gifts and there are directions and there are relationships and there are tangible things, material things. God has many ways to bless your socks off because it's all in Him. Say our Father, which art? which art, Amen. He's real. Where does he dwell? Well, if he's real, then heaven is real. Amen? Aren't you glad it's a real place? Mm -hmm. Raise your hand if you've had somebody cross over to that place. You're looking forward to one day just seeing them. Few people have not been touched by that. Uh, The bottom line is, you know, you live long enough, you're going to find out that not just people in your family, but people you respect, uh, people in the ministry, they're going to the other side. And guess what? They're in good hands. They're in good hands long before all state. Amen. Praise the Lord. Um, they're they're literally in His care. What a wonderful thought that is to know. Uh, your loved one did not cease to exist. They just changed zip codes. And oh, what a zip code it must be. They just changed zip codes. You know, if uh, your relative tonight got on board a plane and flew you know, halfway around the world and then eventually maybe ended up in Sydney, Australia, uh, you wouldn't see them as forever gone. You would see them traveling with a destiny one day that you're going to see them again. Turn to somebody and say, you're going to see them again. Heaven is real, just like our Heavenly Father is real. Amen. And you thank Him for it. Just stop right there. All the things you can think about heaven, all the uh, expressions of, of what he has made heaven to be. Go to John 14 talking. about, Lord, you made a place for me. You're making a place for me. Um, you're already, your foreknowledge is for my good and not my harm. Aren't you glad for that today? Say so it will be, it's a line. Our Father, Our Father which, art heaven, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy what? Be thy, name. thy name. How many have a little revelation on the names of God? You stop right there and you bless His name. You say good things about His name. Taking the name of the Lord in vain is to misuse that name, to ascribe things to that name that do not apply to His nature or character. For example, if I say that uh, God struck that person with blindness, that was just taking His name in vain because that's not what God does. Jesus obviously could have done anything like that if it was the Father's will, but we see Him taking blindness off people We don't see Him making people blind. So to ascribe to Him things. Now, ascribing things like that to the Father or that Jesus is wrong, it's blasphemy, but be careful if you start ascribing things like that to the Holy Spirit. The work of the devil to the one that rebelled from God. Now, you're getting into a dangerous area that there's no recovery from. But hallowed be thy name. Amen? Even if you have just a, a little bit of knowledge, you know the name of Jesus. Amen? Master, Savior, Lord. Learn more and more about the names like Elohim and El Shaddai, Almighty God, like El Elyon, the Most High God. I love what Creflo said. Well, if God is El Elyon, the Most High God, then the devil is the Most Low. <laughs> Aren't you glad you're serving the Most High God and not going where the Most Low is? Um, You'll know, find out more and more. You can go through the names uh, like uh, You know, Jehovah Jireh, which means what? Jehovah Rapha, which means what? You see, you can can do this, and there are lots of great resources out there on the names of God. They all reflect, you see, why is it important to know them? Because they all reflect an aspect of His nature or character. And you know what you won't find? You won't find any name that describes the the, the, the mistaken idea and false teaching that God somehow is evil and somehow capricious and you never know what He's going to do you'll find out that those names describe God with deliberate and consistent character. Aren't you glad he's consistent? Aren't you glad he's the same? Is it a surprise? No, he said, I'm the Lord thy God. I change not. Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if he was ever Jehovah Rapha, he still is. That's one of the things you have to get clear in your thinking. There is no day of miracles or day of healing. There's a God of miracles and a God of healing. So what does that mean? It means that if he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, he's fully capable and willing to do what he has done before and do it in our day and our age. Amen. Why is that important? Um, Because it's his nature. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? How many know that uh, different species have different kinds of nature? What do dogs do? They bark. This is complicated, isn't it, tonight? (laughs) What did you learn about? I learned about dogs barking. Amen. Uh, what What do cats do? What do fish do? They swim. What do birds do? They fly. What does God do? He heals. He blesses. He forgives. You want to know what the nature of God does? Just read the Scriptures. Go to Psalm 103, for example, and you'll find out that He forgives all of our sins and He heals all of our diseases. Why? That's His nature. That's why you don't have to talk God into anything as if you have to talk God into being God. You just have to believe that He is and He's a rewarder of those that diligently seek Him. Say it, I, believe. I believe. Hallowed be thy name. Amen? Make that name sacred and hallowed and honorable in your mouth and in your praise. Take the time to do that. You know, just what I just said so far, you're probably now 10, 15 minutes into prayer time. And you're thinking, Pastor Art, that'd be a record for me. Well, praise the Lord. Uh, but you'd be amazed as you focus on what Jesus said to do how time will not be an issue for you anymore. And you'll just go from step to step to step through what is not just a prayer or not just an outline of prayer, but the anointed word of God. You see what I'm saying to you? When you do this, you are keeping and executing the very word of God. How could you possibly go wrong? You're praying this way. You're praying the word of God. That's powerful. Say it, "Hallowed hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. What does that mean? God's ways of doing and being right. Thy kingdom come. Uh, How many want to see more of His kingdom in this earth? More of His kingdom in your life? More of His rulership in your life, in your family, in your community? How many know that God can fix the troubles of our nation if He's just given the room to do it? That's the real war that's going on right now in this nation. Uh, Set everything else aside. Set the personalities aside. And don't get caught up in that, and see this for what it is. It's light and darkness. Yeah. It is goodness and evil. And what you want to make sure is you discern that that we cannot afford to let the enemy have any more space and room than he's already gotten. You say, why? Um, why would he do this? I'm working on a message, uh, you know, for uh, folks over in uh, in two twelve, and I'm telling you this that. And it's true right now in your life, the devil is after our kids. And the history of the Word of God is he does not wait until somebody turns 80 to go after them. You don't believe that? Look what he did in Moses' day. Wipe out an entire generation to what? Because of the threat that he sensed. What about in Jesus' day? You know how many babies were murdered because he was after one? That's how he operates. You think about Joseph. Did you start going after Joseph when he was already on the throne? No. From youth. And you have to understand that's just how he operates. It is light and darkness. What we need is more of his kingdom. Amen? And you can do that. You can open up more and more and more of your life to the things that he wants. And I'll tell you this. It'll be a life in in a world you could never have unless you do that. Amen. Thy kingdom come. And He said, Thy will be done. On what? On earth earth as it is. In heaven. 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 Is the will of God done in heaven? What does God want back on earth? His will. Say it, "His His will. Say it, His will. His will. Think about what's in heaven and how it contradicts what's on earth. Whatever is in heaven is what he wants here. There is no sin in hell. In heaven. There is no war in heaven. He tried that. He failed. <laughs> there is no poverty in heaven. There is no lack. There is no want. There is no sickness. There is no disease. There is no strife. What's his will? That it would be here now. You can have a measure of that, but the full manifestation of that's going to come when he comes and he puts his foot down on the Mount of Olives. It's going to be a bottom line. It's not going to be anymore, well, do what you want, you know, you're a free moral agent. It's going to be, guess what? Make your decision now because the king is here. The kingdom has come. You know, a big part of our job as New Testament believers in the last days is have as much heaven on earth as we possibly can bring through believing what God said and loving God and loving people. Say it with me, days of heaven... On earth. That's not a New Testament scripture. That's actually an Old Testament concept. Say it, days of heaven on the earth. I don't be misled and thinking that somehow you're going to get, you just polish this place up like a, a false teaching out there It says we're going to just shine it all up for Jesus and then hand it to him as a present. No, he's going to come down and make it the way it's supposed to be. But you can have a lot of great things happening in you and through you. You know, when somebody gets saved, that's a taste of heaven. When somebody gets baptized in the Holy Ghost, that's a taste of heaven. When somebody gets healed, that's a taste of heaven. When they experience a financial breakthrough, that's a taste of heaven. Look at somebody and say, I want more taste of heaven. Taste of heaven. <laughs> Thy will be done on earth as it is where? In heaven. In heaven. Who said this? Jesus. And he not only said, he they, they said, teach us to pray. He said, okay, I am. What are they supposed to pray? If you're supposed to pray... Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What does he want to see happen? More of his will done on earth as it is in heaven. That's tricky. Uh, what you and your family do in terms of the blessing, in terms of the victory, in terms of joy, in terms of success in your spiritual walk, that's up to you. But you've probably noticed that outside of your family, maybe in the workplace, in the classroom, in the business, even the, the broader ministry context, you have a lot of wills involved in that. So you can be wildly blessed and successful in your life and your family and see resistance and things happening in the broader application of that. And the reason is, and the Spirit of God recently emphasized this to me, the reason is when you're dealing with you, maybe you and your spouse, you're in agreement. That's all the will you're dealing with. God said if you're willing and obedient... You'll eat the good of the fat of the land, but you try to get a bunch of people in a in a hospital or a classroom or even a church to get into agreement on the same page. You're dealing with lots of wills, and that's where the limitation comes. But what if everybody started wanting the will of God? Amen. That's something that unifies and causes the blessing to manifest more and more and more. So the extent that. Um, the American Church unifies, not gonna, you know, unify in every little belief and every little doctrine, but the unity of the faith that Jesus Christ is Lord, the way, the truth, and the life. And people come to pray together to pray to see God's face, and God touches denomination after denomination. I'm not gonna say how it is. I've said this before, but I see it clearer than ever before. You know, it didn't make a difference what door you hide behind. The Holy Ghost is gonna blow in. He's gonna baptize in the Holy Ghost believers of all different brands. Because that's what His will to empower them as well, amen. You should pray that God's will is manifest on this earth, and not in the futuristic sense. No, today, in the sweet by and by. How do you know that He wants you in His will today? Well, if that's true, then He wants His will on the earth. Period. Amen. Today, give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. I can still hear John Osteen's booming voice somewhere in my spirit where he talked about this and he said, you know, imagine that, that Jesus told us to boldly go to God and say, give us and forgive us. Whose idea was it to come in prayer asking God to give us? God's idea. Say it boldly go to the throne. That he has some kind of reservation or some kind of a, you know, feeling of religion that's that's blocking you from boldly going to the throne asking God to give you or forgive you. You need to get over that. He wants you to go to him and ask, give me. Amen? And forgive me. He's the one that came up with it. Yes. Give us this day our? Daily, daily bread. What's daily bread? Daily bread is whatever you need when you need it. It's far more of the material, but it includes that. Amen. Uh, you, you live in a modern society, you probably need somewhere to sleep, something to drive. Amen. Glory to God. Um, you know, somewhere to work, you know, having some kind of access to accounts. Uh, say, well, we won't need it in heaven. Well, it, it, it's real handy down here on earth, isn't it? You're expected to pay for the things that you're involved in, the goods and the services that you have, and God is a good provider, isn't He? Say, He is a good provider. He takes care of me. But religion will you know, creep up in your heart. So I, I can't ask God to give me. Well, then you're in violation directly of what Jesus taught them. Listen, don't ask the Lord to teach you something, show you something, give you a revelation. Then when He does, just look at Him and say, well, that can't possibly be true. He didn't stutter. Say, so He said, Give us and forgive us. Now, there's a caveat there. Forgive us as we forgive what? Our debtors. Now, when you're going to pray that and expect Him to forgive you, you have to be willing to do what? Forgive people. How often are you going to have to forgive people? Apparently, a lot. You know, it's a dangerous thing to ask Jesus a question How often should I forgive my brother? Seven times? Yeah, you don't want to hear Jesus, don't pull this chain. What do you say? 70 times seven. And what does that amount to? How many? 400 and what? 90. So at 491, I can let him have it. Because G- Jesus said What? Seventy times seven. We we know he meant you're going to have to get to a place where you're inexhaustible in your forgiveness. Why should we be inexhaustible in our forgiveness towards other people? Because he is inexhaustible towards you. That's the standard. Not once or twice or five or ten or twenty times. And I'm telling you that this this is going to be one of the big idols that falls in the American church. I I didn't say that by accident. Say idol. Idol. This resistance to truly forgive, it's going to come down as God's people pray. Things are going to look insignificant as people seek God with all their heart. That grudge isn't going to matter anymore. That misunderstanding is not going to matter anymore in the light of God's love and His power and what He's doing. How you didn't see eye to eye on that matter, it's not going to matter anymore. How that person treated you ugly is not going to matter anymore because in the light of the revelation of his goodness and his grace and his power, you're going to have better things to do than hold on to old hurts and grudges and wounds. But I am telling you that the world did not create cancel culture. The church did. You didn't do what I wanted? canceled. You don't, you don't have the music style I want? canceled. You don't like uh, what's being preached? Canceled. You don't like the Sunday school teacher? Canceled. And I'm telling you, if that's in your life, you are on dangerous ground as a believer. God has not raised you up to cancel people. He restores them. And I'm telling you, it is epidemic in the body of Christ. And it's completely opposite to what he is teaching here. Forgive us our what? Our debts, our sins, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Now, what's the implication here? The implication is that you're probably going to sin, but somebody else is probably going to sin against you. Mm -hmm. Who said this? Jesus. Jesus. The implication is uh, you're going to need forgiveness, but someone's also going to trample on you, and you're going to need to do what? Walk in forgiveness. I am telling you that somewhere, somehow, this idea that if I don't like you, I don't want to deal with you, I can just cancel you as if you don't exist anymore, that is not of God. And I'm telling you, by the Spirit of God, it's coming to account in the body of Christ. Cancel culture should be completely and totally the last thing in your thinking. Amen? And yet, for so many Christians, it's not. I've seen it. You've seen the same thing. You'll pour into somebody's life. You'll spend 5, 10, 20 years working in their life, standing with them, in the gutter with them, going to hell and back with them, and they'll disappear from your life, your small group. so I've had people who teach small groups in this church pour their lives into people and without a word just disappear as if they didn't matter at all. That is cancel culture and it is not Christ like. It's not godly. Where'd they get that from? They can come from the spirit of Christ. That's for sure. And what it does it makes it difficult on people when they're trying to do ministry. What do they have to do? Continue to walk in love, walk in grace, walk in forgiveness. But whatever it is, don't let that thing get on the inside of you. Go on and say, I have no cancel culture in me. And and be perfectly bluntly, I don't like when I see it in the world either. I don't like when somebody said something 20 years ago in a tweet that was inappropriate and being punished today and driven off their job or out of their business, or, or out of their movie, or whatever it is, because of something they said ignorantly as a 15-year-old or whatever. Is that what we want to do? Perfection? Or you're out? Oh, dear God, we're done then. Look at somebody and say, you look perfect, but I know you're not. <laughs> so, uh, some of you know, the, you know the Guardians of the Galaxy movies. And Chris Pratt, who's pretty bold about his faith, pretty bold about seeking God and praying and seeking the face of God. Um, obviously, there'd be some things in his life, and, and he'd probably say things about us that we wouldn't be totally in agreement about. But he's, he's a good example and a good role model for a lot of people out there, how to live that life in that entertainment world. And, um, you know, they wanted to fire the director because of some inappropriate things he said years ago. And I loved it because the actor stood up and said, if he goes, we walk as well. Now, when you're looking at losing half a, million do- half a billion dollars, you begin to reconsider. You see how flaky this is? Yeah. They reinstalled the director because of a money thing. Right. Which means they didn't have any real convictions about the things he said. Right. I don't like seeing it in the world. But I particularly don't like seeing it in the church. Where all of a sudden you can fellowship with somebody for 20 years and all of a sudden it's like that church family doesn't matter to me. One iota, what was poured into my life doesn't matter. Happens all over the country. Amen. There's a lot of indicators in the body of Christ that we need revival and we need it now. But this hyper-judgmentalism and cancel culture going on right now is the greatest indicator that we need repentance and revival. We need the third grade awakening. Jeremy Pearsons, who is um, George Pearsons' son and Terry Pearsons' Copeland's son, um, grew up uh, literally in the Word of God, knew he was called to preach from just a little tyke, and he was at a a hotel getting ready to be picked up, He's going to go speak in the service, and he had his his Bible and his notebook, and he was dressed to go preach, you know, a lady said, are uh, uh, you, you, know, you a preacher? He goes, yeah, I'm going over to such and such church to do service tonight. And she said, it's a grandmother. She said, I, I used to go over there. In fact, I took my little granddaughter there. She was on the extreme you know, end of the spectrum of autism. Nobody could do anything with her. And do you know, people over there laid hands on her and God instantly healed her of autism? And then Jeremy said, and you used to go to that church? hmm That's where we are. I'll just, you know, check that box off. I'm sorry, but this, this hyperjudgmentalism, culture, you know, cancel culture, flakiness in the body of Christ, it has to stop, and the only way that's going to happen is for a move of God. You're not going to teach it to people. You're not going to talk them into it. You're not going to redirect them. It's going to have to be a matter of the heart being transformed by God. Amen. Say it with me. Forgive us our debts, us our debts. as we forgive, as we forgive those, those who what? Sin against us. It's pretty much clear that uh, we might sin, of course, and people are going to sin against you. So we have to be in, inexhaustible in our forgiveness towards others like they are what? Amen. We want to be forgiven without exhaustion from God. And so we have to have the same mindset towards other people. So look at your neighbor and say, got to forgive you i got to do it. Amen. Praise the Lord. What comes next? And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The actual language of that is, do not permit us to be, what? Led into evil. Uh, We know from Scripture, according to James, that God is not the one that tempts. Uh, man is actually drawn away when he is actually enticed. And then there's conception. And then when conception is actually birth, it produces, of course, death. But we know that we should be praying um, you know, for sensitivity in these areas, for support in these areas. How I many of you know if there is a temptation, God always provides a way of escape? Right. So if you're praying this prayer, what's a good way to pray? I thank you today, Lord, that no matter what comes my way today, you will provide a way of escape from this temptation. Amen. You're going to provide me the victory in the situation. And I'm asking you to be hyper, you know, for hypersensitivity to know where my escape hatch is on this situation, whatever it is. You know, you don't want to pray this every six months. Amen. I mean, you know, the temptation is you usually don't come every six months. Um, and sometimes they're real simple to say something, to do something, you know, that you and your, your life, you know, you regret doing or saying but how many of you like to be able to head those things off of the past for a change? I'll take that as a yes, amen. Yes. <laughs> deliver us from the evil one. Uh, say it, deliver us. Deliver us. deliver us. deliver us. Say it again, deliver us, deliver us. from the evil one. Does God have the power to do that? Yes. 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 And again, I just want to point out, who told you to pray this way? Jesus. He said this. I want to encourage you. Uh, and again, you know, we go through each of these, uh, you know, parts of this prayer explicitly in previous teaching. But pray it verbatim. Pray it as an outline. And you find yourself praying things based on the Word of God that line up, you know, with temptation or line up with protection from the evil. And you, can, that's a good place to pray for protection. To quote, you know, Psalm ninety-one, things like that. Um, Whatever it is, however he directs you, just use that as an outline, as a, as a springboard to develop your prayer life. And then when you get ready to close it down, go back and pray it as a verbatim prayer. And I believe you'll find a blessing in that. Can you receive that today? So the three Ps of, of an effective prayer life starts with this pattern of prayer. So let's all say it together. Amen? It may be you know discombobled a little bit because of the translation you may have been reading. But let's let's pray. Let's pray it together as a prayer. Why don't you close your eyes and let's let's pray it together as a prayer. Amen. Say, our Father, our Father which art in heaven, name, hallowed be hallowed thy name, thy kingdom hallowed come, hallowed thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into but deliver us from evil. And have you taught, for thine is the power. Is it? Is it? Whose power? Amen. In Matthew's version, you begin to see the, the parallel in the, in the translations here. Uh, he's a good God. So say, I'm going to use the Lord's Prayer in my prayer time. I'm going to pray it verbatim. I'm going to pray it as an outline. And I'm going to pray it verbatim again. Amen? And it's okay just to ride down the car just to break out into the Lord's Prayer. The only thing I would say is don't make this mechanical and don't make it religious. Pray it with all your heart. These are the very things that your Lord responded to them with an answer. This is how you pray. Let's give the Lord a hand clap tonight for it.